A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's going to be one of those days, isn't it? I might start the show a little bit differently today. Because after all, the Prime Minister isn't coming out of the House. The Prime Minister is going to do Prime Minister's questions from his bedroom. We're going to be showing you exactly where that is. Let's hope he's not wearing his pyjamas. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Here's some things I bet you thought you'd never hear me say. Number one, Christmas is coming, but we might have to cancel it. Number two, you won't be able to buy a diesel car in a few years. Number three, everyone wants us to get to net zero carbon emissions. Number four, the Prime Minister will today appear in the House of Commons from his bedroom. Number five, The Labour Party is so determined to rid anti-Semitism from their organisation that they have reinstated Jeremy Corbyn after suspending him 19 days ago for uh, uh, anti-Semitism. When I woke up this morning, it was as if I'd been transported to a parallel universe, one where reality has all but disappeared from political discourse. All I'm hearing about is why Britain needs a green industrial revolution complete with windmills in the sea and electric bikes all over the place. Has anyone actually told this Prime Minister that there are people suffering all over this country? People whose businesses are on their knees. People who haven't seen their elderly relatives for eight months. People who are losing their homes. People, in short, who need a government to fix the economy, lift this ludicrous lockdown and address the real issues in this country. What do we get instead? We get Boris Johnson in his PJs doing PMQs for his Downing Street bedroom, 0344 499 1000. And not as if the other lot are any better. Sir Keir Starmer has allowed the momentum Marxists to prove they're still running Labour. Jeremy Corbyn is back despite being suspended less than three weeks ago for anti-Semitism. And up in Scotland, things are going from bad to worse under Nicola Sturgeon. We'll be talking to Brexit Party Chairman Richard Tice, now from the Reform UK Party, and historian Neil Oliver about the fine mess that we are in. 0344 499 1000. Throughout the show today, we'll be searching for someone, anyone, who voted for all of this green nonsense last December. Hydrogen cookers, small-scale nuclear power stations all over the place, batteries everywhere, and billions of pounds spent. And that's your money, by the way. Did you really ask for that? Please do call and tell me that you did, because I don't think anyone will call me to Today, who voted for any of this green shambles? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Is it any wonder we're talk radio? 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, let's get straight to it, because Richard Tice uh, is a man we always like to talk to, and we were going to talk to him a bit earlier in the week. We're going to talk to him today, though, because there's lots to say. Businessman, of course, chairman uh, of the Reform UK party, uh, which has been self-confessed and self-set up uh, as the uh, party against these lockdowns. Richard, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, uh, Mike, and I'm glad that neither you nor me are in our pajamas. <laughs> well, abso- well, absolutely. But I mean, what a shambles of a country we've become where the prime minister uh, gets himself pinged by an app, uh, which has now pinged the person that's in charge of the app, just because he happened to be in the same room as somebody who later turned out to have COVID, even though he's tested negative, he's not going anywhere for 14 days. I mean, what's going on? It, it is quite extraordinary uh, what's going on. As we all know, the reality is that... Um, there's only about 10, five, between 5 and 10 people who've been reinfected with this disease, having previously had it, across the hundreds of millions who've had the disease across the country, uh, sorry, across the, uh, the world. What the Prime Minister thinks he's doing at a moment of national emergency with crucial uh, issues at stake, like the Brexit negotiations, uh, like how we come out of this lockdown, uh, and there he is, stuck in his bedroom. It, it, it absolutely beggars belief, mm. a, a total lack of one of the most basic things that we need in this country that we seem to have lost, it's called common sense. Yeah, and in the meantime, all we're reading about this morning and hearing about, um, if you if you weren't actually listening to talk radio, is this green industrial, um, you know, sort of revolution that supposedly is being planned, where we're going to spend billions and billions of pounds putting windmills in the sea, you know, setting you up with your own personal, you know, battery the size of Battersea Power Station, electric bikes. I mean, who asked for any of this stuff? Well, I think the, you know, the Prime Minister's talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Look, on the one hand, yes, we're all concerned uh, about the environment. But on the other hand, folks, you know, we, we've got a situation at the moment where there is a, an absolute emergency at hand, which is uh, how the right approach to this virus. Uh, you know, we in, 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 in Reform UK, the renamed Brexit Party, we've made it very clear the government approach is completely wrong. They should be adopting the Great Barrington Declaration. And what's emerging just in the last couple of days, Mike, which is really important, and we're going to be focusing on very hard, I tweeted about it yesterday, is that we've now got some true comparative data based in, from Liverpool, where they're obviously testing much of the city, between the quality and the accuracy of the PCR test, the standard government test, and the new, what they call, lateral flow test. And the extraordinary thing, Mike, is that we're now seeing that for the same population, the lateral flow test, the new test, is showing just 20%, just 20% of the positive cases that are being shown by the PCR test. So just imagine if all of this government strategy, everything they're doing across the whole of England and indeed the UK, is based on data that is potentially five times multiplied, Mm. five times wrong. Because if you have the correct data... And I think the PCR test is going to be is, is, is potentially um, uh, the Achilles heel of this government. If that data is completely wrong, then actually we shouldn't be in lockdown at all. And it may well be that many of these cases that are being reported as cases are not cases. Many of the people that are going to hospital, yes, they are ill. But, you know, the reality is many people may be being given a false diagnosis uh, and they may have other illnesses. Um, and therefore, you know, many of the sad deaths that get daily reported as being as dying with COVID, they may not be dying with COVID at all. And so the whole strategy could be being completely undermined. And I would urge your listeners, um, watch my tweets, watch the data coming out of Liverpool. Uh, I've just checked it this morning before we spoke. Um, and again, 
uh, in the last couple of days. It literally, um, the, the, the positive ratio is just 0.6% using the lateral flow test. It's 3% using the PCR test. This is potentially seismic money. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm absolutely with you on the on the use of data and the misuse of data. There have been a couple of corrections published about this, though, haven't there? Because there are those who say the lateral flow tests are actually uh, people are being given to people who don't have symptoms. And so, therefore, it might be that the other tests, which are given to people with symptoms, would show a sort of higher density, if you like, of the disease. What would you say to them? That's absolute nonsense. The, the, what they call the Pillar 2 test, the PCR test, is used across the whole community for anybody who rocks up to a testing centre and wants to test uh, for whatever reason. Mm. So um, the, t- the two are like for like. Um, I, I think, to be honest, that argument is being pushed by those who are really worried, actually, uh, that um, the government's main strategy may be being completely undermined. Yeah. You know, when you look at it, the PCR test, they're testing, give or take, 300,000 people in, under what they call the Pillar 2 across the whole community every single day. This is industrial scale testing Mm. uh, for a test that actually was never designed to be used on this industrial scale. And And therefore, the risk of of errors and inaccuracy in the uh, in the in the five lighthouse laboratories is huge. You're absolutely right, Richard, and I'm absolutely with you on this, because what we have seen is what we saw previous to this uh, particular lockdown. In the first lockdown, you know, we're not seeing NHS hospitals being overwhelmed. The BBC, I remember about 10 days ago, did this very scaremongering piece from Liverpool hospitals, talking to doctors who were all saying, you know, if it carries on like this, we're going to be in real trouble. Well, plainly, it hasn't carried on like this. Plainly, uh, the NHS has not been overwhelmed again. And plainly, all of these uh, terrible warnings of doomsday scenarios have been way over the top uh, and made by these scientists who seem to be so cautious. I'm amazed they even go out during the day. Well, that's their decision. But, but just, again, look at the data. The reality is every winter at this time of the year, hospitals start to get busier with, uh, with people, with flu, with pneumonia, with respiratory issues. And you know, the, the quantity of people occupying beds uh, across the country is no different, really, to a normal year. Mm. Likewise with ICU. ICU units generally run what they call hot at 80, 85, 90% um, with incredibly high-trained staff. So, and then when you look at the, 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 the total number of, of all the sad deaths, Mike, um, since June, uh, there's basically no excess deaths uh, in the UK. It's, about, it, it's in the margin of error. It, mm. It's just over 2% more than the five-year average. And, and again, the, you know, the data doesn't lie here. If you haven't got an excess number of people sadly dying, then... What's going on? Mm. You know, maybe, maybe all of these people who are sadly dying with COVID, just imagine if many of those actually haven't had COVID at all. They've had an inaccurate test. They've died sadly of frailty of age or flu or pneumonia. They're being put down in COVID and, the, and tens of thousands of businesses are being destroyed. Millions of jobs are being destroyed. The government's national debt is going through the roof. Mental health is soaring. Suicides are soaring. All of this could be based on totally flawed data it is truly mm. shocking it really uh, the is the scale of what of, of what may be happening in front of our eyes mike and yet what we have richard is is a sort of collection of leaders and i include nicola sturgeon uh, mark drakeford as well uh, and also in uh, northern ireland whoever happens to be running that place today i'm not quite sure who it is at this point but you know they're all doing the same thing they're all kind of running scared they're all pointing to you know this big sort of shadow over there somewhere uh, without telling us what the shadow is and i don't think they know what the shadow is and i don't think they understand what they're doing and i really think that it's time 
uh, that we we started to say these things. And I mean, we've been saying them here on Talk Radio for quite a long time. But when you look at the other uh, tweet that you put out today about this incredible spread in the Daily Mail, the eighteen billion pound virus fiasco, you see a guy on the front page of the Times who's made twenty one million pounds to act as a go-between in some deal with a jewellery company in America to supply PPE. I mean, it's unbelievable. It absolutely beggars belief. You know, it, I read that Daily Mail thing pretty early doors, and it, it made me sick to the core. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, at the time, uh, you know, orders had to be placed very quickly. But, you know, some people were doing the right thing, and they were basically saying, look, I'll come in, I'll get it sorted. Uh, this is the cost. You know, give me a small sort of what they call cost plus. Um, for getting it sorted. Yeah. Those are what I call true patriots. Yeah. The people who've basically tried to skim and scam and um, rip the taxpayer off at a time of national emergency. I mean, frankly, um, you know, they shouldn't sleep at night for the rest of days. No. Uh, what they've done. I think it's absolutely disgraceful. And, and the will, I'm quite sure there will be a day of reckoning. Um, you know, this, this sort of cronyism uh, that we're seeing around the, uh, around the Conservative government, it has a, it has a nasty whiff about it. And I think that smell is going to continue to grow yeah. and we're going to see a real, uh, a nasty, turgid, rotting corpse emerging. Yes, I think you're right. But of course, the big question is, Richard, what can we do about it? Because, you know, you guys, when you were the Brexit party, you managed to make a great deal of things happen and much change as a result uh, was, was what we saw because we've now left the European Union, or at least we, we hope to be. We'll talk about Brexit in a second. But we've got the Labour Party, you know, run by a guy who can't even stop the anti-Semite sort of uh, Prince of Darkness from coming back in, uh, despite the fact that uh, he doesn't think it's a good idea. It seems to have happened anyway. It's like, I mean, Neil Oliver's coming on later on the show. He put a tweet out last night saying it's almost as if the main political parties have got some kind of mass suicide wish, that they're just kind of self-exploding. Um, well, we at Reform UK, uh, we're going to uh, offer the electorate an alternative, a serious, credible alternative at the elections next May. Uh, we've had over 3,000 people say they want to stand for us across the regional elections, the local elections, police and crime commissioners. So we're going to offer a serious alternative. But you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, in the meantime, uh, Keir Starmer's got a big decision to make uh, today. And, and I hope he makes the right decision, which is to say to Jeremy Corbyn, you're no longer welcome yeah. and the whip is removed. Yeah. As I understand, and I'm not an expert in Labour Party processes, but as I understand that decision... Um, to, uh, to withdraw the suspension from Jeremy Corbyn was not taken by him, but no. was taken by the disciplinary body or whatever. So, you know, it's now back to him. He's got the ability to withdraw the whip. And if he's serious about eradicating the hideous scourge of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, uh, then he should do that and show that he means business. I actually do think he does mean business. But now he's really got to step up to the plate and, and, and make that decision. Yeah. Let's talk about Brexit finally, Richard. Uh, what are you hearing from, uh, from the other side of the water, from Brussels? What's, what's going on? All the usual noise and bluster, as we've, as we've heard for, uh, for months and indeed years. And look, we've always known it was going to be uh, at the sort of, you know, one minute to midnight. Uh, you know, is, is, that's the moment when actually the final deal is going to be done. So far, so good. Um, David Frost, our chief negotiator, is, is holding his own. Uh, what I think we're extremely anxious about, and Nigel's talked about this as well, is, is that, you know, Boris in his weakened pyjama state, tucked in his bedroom, um, he just wants to get problems off his desk and that he bottles it mm. at the last minute. And, uh, you know, if, if, if he's tempted to do that, then uh, I would say to Conservatives advising him and, and to the Prime Minister, um, you know, uh, you might try that, but we will not let you live it down. Um, because there is, despite everything going on, 
you know, it's even more important than ever that we have the freedom and the opportunities to use important things like state aid, uh, to be able to uh, get rid of the daft EU regulations when we want to, um, to take advantage of the opportunities with you know, things like tourism in, in the fishing areas, the most deprived areas and free ports. All this stuff is so important um, to be left you know, with a sort of uh, one arm tied behind, behind our back or both arms tied behind our back. Um, that would be Brexit in name only, and, and we wouldn't tolerate it. It's very important to look after the Fisher people, uh, as they're referred to on Radio 4, apparently, because Fisherman uh, is apparently now sexist, so you can't oh, say that anymore. God. For heaven's sake. Richard, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Richard Tice, uh, who is now chairman of Reform UK. The question is this, really. You know, what are we going to do with a government that just wants to look the other way? Every time somebody points out that there are businesses failing, that there are people dying, that there are people unable to see their elderly relatives, that there are people who are committing suicide because of the strains that they are now living under because of this uh, second tier, third tier, fourth tier lockdown business. And it is killing the economy. It is killing the country and it is killing this government's uh, faith from the people of this country who voted them in in massive numbers. Today, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of this country, who has got nothing wrong with him, self-confessed fit as a butcher's dog, is actually conducting prime minister's questions from the inside uh, of Downing Street because he's frightened to go out. How ridiculous have we become in this country? And I also want to know from you today, anybody who's actually voted for this green agenda, anyone who, when they put their X on the spot back in December, on the 12th of December, the day before the 13th of December, that you wanted to vote for massive batteries up and down the country, for massive windmills in the middle of the sea, for massive uh, electric bike use, for massive electric car use, for the killing off of all fossil fuels, for the killing off of your diesel motor, for the, your inability to drive around in a van that's powered by petrol. All of these things I don't believe anyone voted for. If you could find me someone, uh, there may be a box of chocolates in it for you. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So here's my challenge to all of you out there today. I need someone to call me to tell me that they voted for this green industrial revolution, which includes uh, hydrogen, OK? Working with industry to generate five gigawatts of the low-carbon fuel by 2030. Nuclear, investing in new technology to develop mini-reactors. So, you know, you could find out uh, one morning you wake up, what's that going on down the end of the street? Oh, they're just putting a mini-nuclear reactor in uh, so you can have some clean energy. You won't mind that, will you? That'd be absolutely fine. Nature, protecting and restoring the natural environment, planting 75,000 acres of trees every single year. Carbon capture, becoming a world leader in technology. Public transport, cycling and walking. £5 billion investment in low carbon transport with cycle lanes to benefit from a share of £2 billion. We don't want cycle lanes. Cycle lanes are causing more pollution and more congestion than ever in our cities, OK? So that isn't the way to go. Electric vehicles. Oh, yes, darling. Do you know, I can't decide on whether I want to buy the brand new £150,000 electric Range Rover or the £75,000 Tesla. What do you think, darling? How many of those conversations do you think people are having up and down the country uh, in working class communities? People who need jobs, people who want to be able to drive a van around because that's the business they are in. Absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? Let's talk to Karen Pollock, Chief Executive of the Holocaust Educational Trust, because last night, I think like most people, I was pretty taken aback to discover that after just 19 days of having been suspended from the Labour Party uh, because of the anti-Semitism that ran rife through it while he was leader, Jeremy Corbyn is back in the Labour Party because Keir Starmer can't seem to stop 
anything from happening uh, that the NEC decides is a good thing. Karen, a very good morning to you. Good morning. This is quite an extraordinary development. I mean, I thought, uh, as we all did, that uh, the Corbyn era was done, dusted, gone. Uh, All of his cohorts had sort of shuffled off into the darkness. Uh, The anti-Semitism that they so uh, happily uh, kind of encouraged was going to be a thing of the past. But guess what? Apparently not. I think it came as a shock to all of us yesterday. I was surprised that the case had even come to fruition so quickly when there's a deluge of cases of anti-Semitism that still need to be investigated by the Labour Party. Um, I think for me, it just felt like, what message does this send? It sends an appalling message about what the Labour Party under new management uh, stands for. Um, The sad truth is that after the Equalities and Human Rights Commission released their scathing report, it clearly... um, pointed out why we were right to call out the intrinsic anti-Semitism that was endemic in the Labour Party under the watch of Jeremy Corbyn. And I think we all welcomed uh, Keir Starmer's suspension of Jeremy Corbyn after his remarks um, on the day of the EHRC report. But, you know, I think that For many people in the community, we don't really want to be talking about anti-Semitism. We don't want to be talking about anti-Jewish hatred. We do want to move on. So I think this is a really heavy blow. I think it is because what's very clear is that this under new management mantra that Keir Starmer has been has been sort of promoting over the past few weeks and months is a nonsense. It's an absolute and utter lie because it's not one under new management anyway, because he was part of the old management. And two, it would appear that no matter what he may say, uh, Sir Keir Starmer is not capable of stopping anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. I would have to say that it is now endemic. I think that the question really here is, This is a political party and political parties make political decisions. And whilst it's true, there are processes. And I understand that uh, the leader's office was referring and allowing processes to take place. The outcome here is that this supposed new Labour Party is uh, not taking the strong stand that I think we all had hoped for. There were some really positive soundings from Keir Starmer and from the team around him. And I think the Jewish community were relieved and open to a new relationship. And let's hope that can be uh, renewed. But I think that there's this huge stumbling block going on right now. And the question really today is what he, the leader, is going to do. Right. And Jeremy Corbyn's had two opportunities with two statements to apologise for what happened, and he still hasn't managed to do that. You know, it's a very kind of, you know, gritted teeth type statement in which he may regret certain things, but he doesn't actually say sorry uh, for anything. Because at the heart of Jeremy Corbyn, unfortunately, and the heart of his supporters, uh, is a hatred uh, of anything which they regard as Zionism, you know, uh, Judaism, anything which appears to be anti-Palestinian. You know, they can't get over it. They just can't get around it. I mean, this isn't new, is it? I think about the time when the clearly anti-Semitic mural uh, that Jeremy Corbyn mm. seemed to support, that anybody who understand even a notion of what racism and anti-Jewish hatred is would have recognised as anti-Semitic. I think it took him three or four attempts to uh, try to say sorry 
sorry being the hardest word. And we talk about the most unfortunate anti-racist finding himself in all sorts of uh, uncomfortable uh, positions and friends with all sorts of unpalatable unpalatable people. Um, You're right. Um, He is who he is. And the fact is, though, that I think for many of us, this isn't we... I think the Labour Party don't want it to be about one man, and it isn't about one man. Um, It's about the fact that under his watch, Mm. there was um, a licence to share really hateful uh, opinions and speech and material that was against one minority group. Um, This EHRC report was scathing. It was clear about what under his responsibility, what what happened and why um, the Labour Party have a really big mountain to climb Mm. i think um it's just a shame that only 19 days after that report and such really important positive soundings from the labor leader um we've had this huge uh sort of about turn yesterday well my father always said you know don't judge people by what they say judge people by what they do and it's very clear that the ideology of the labor party uh supports jeremy corbyn and now you're quite right to say it's not about one man it's about the party because i would have to say and i will say it now quite clearly the labor party doesn't want to rid the anti-semitism out of its own party because if it did it would be doing it and it's clearly not doing it and therefore you can only conclude one thing they don't want to I mean, I would say that there are some good people in all political parties and they don't all they are not all, um, you know, of one opinion. And I do believe that there are decent people who were in the Labour Party previously who spoke out and stood up and really were the advocates um, against the racism that they were witnessing. And I do still believe there are some good people in there. I wouldn't tarnish everybody with one brush. I think the problem, though, having become so deep rooted for so many years means it's not something that just with a, you know, you know, with a quick sort of we're moving on. It's not just a clean slate. There is a big job to do. Part of it is dealing with this deluge of cases that have not been addressed. But there is also something about that brand, isn't there? That point of we are not a place that welcomes anti-Semitism and we t- take anti-Semitism seriously and we treat those who are responsible for it and who allowed it, um, you know, they are held to account. We're told, Karen, though, that the reason for this happening, partly, was that there was a worry inside of the top echelons of the Labour Party that those who do support Jeremy Corbyn might split off and form their own party, uh, which tells me that they're frightened of that because they might be quite a powerful force, one, but also, two, they might split the Labour Party and make it impossible for them to ever get into power again. I would suggest to you that this will prevent them from ever getting into power for a very, very long time. And all you have to do uh, to wonder about people who support this party uh, is look at what happens to Rachel Riley whenever she appears on a television programme, which is unusual, and the abuse that she gets almost exclusively comes from people who have a little red rose in the corner of their Twitter account uh, or or have a um, Labour-supporting flag of some kind or another. And it's very obvious that there are problematic people who support Labour and who still have a voice within it. You know, it's extraordinary. The abuse that Rachel Riley um, has, I mean, she appeared on Family Fortunes on Sunday, uh, won a tremendous amount of money for charity, and as a result was a victim of, you know, Twitter abuse that went on for probably 24 hours, certainly overnight. Extraordinary. Um, And, you know, we've all learned what the mute and the block button is Mm. on social media. Um, You know, I think that the, the question really is how... 
how do you how do you uh, fight this sort of hate? And as always, it always comes from the top. You need leadership and you need to say what is and isn't acceptable. Um, I do believe that um, there are good people who want to make that happen. I, I don't, I'm not interested in the machinations of the Labour Party and what potential fallout or not there might be. Um, what I do know is that this isn't just an issue for Jewish people. The fact is that good, decent British people don't, you know, they're against racism. Mm. They, um, you know, they have common sense and they know what is right and wrong. Um, and so for any political party to be electable, that's what they need to bear in mind. Absolutely. Karen, thanks very much for talking to us. Karen Pollock there from the Holocaust Educational Trust. Beggar's belief, does it not, uh, that here we have the so-called shiny new Labour Party away from the yoke of the communists, away from momentum, away from the Marxists, away from the, the sort of the, the crazy left loony section of the Labour Party. But yet Jeremy Corbyn, who is the king of that side of the politics, is back. And apparently, he's a Labour MP. There are those who say, well, he's not technically a Labour MP. Well, he's sitting on the Labour benches. Uh, he was elected as a Labour MP. He's the former leader of the Labour Party. I'm not quite sure how you make out that he's not a Labour MP. Keir Starmer needs to chuck him out of the party once and for all. It's as simple as that. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's time to say a very good morning to Neil Oliver. Uh, Neil, you put out a rather prescient tweet last night in which you suggested that, uh, uh, or you asked the question, are all political parties involved in some kind of mass suicide that we don't know anything about? It does seem a bit like that, doesn't it? It just looks like carnage and chaos, uh, whichever way you look at it. And I think whatever whatever political allegiance you've had in the past, uh, Labour... Conservative, Lib Dem, uh, SNP, uh, it all looks it all looks disastrous. Uh, it's like watching. It, it, you, you'd almost you'd almost be forgiven for thinking it was deliberate. Yes, 
you know, how, how they can be timing the, the things they're saying and the decisions they're making at the moment looks like some kind of self-harm. Mm. It's, it's beyond me to, to, to imagine why they're doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying now. And this latest statement, which I've got from um, a, a, a tweet in Scotland, Scottish government confirms international travel and going on holiday will not be illegal from Friday, but travelling to the airport will be. Right now, I'm assuming I don't know if you saw this story the other day, Neil, but we talked about it on the show the other day. This brilliant sort of genius uh, idea that they had in Ireland, where a bunch of people worked out that you can go to the airport and drink. So they all bought nine pound tickets for Ryanair from Dublin to Gatwick. Went to the airport, got to the bar, got stuck in with their boarding cards, and when the time came for the plane to depart, they just said, "No, you're all right. We're not. We're not going anywhere. We're just staying here." Um, and so presumably, this is why they're making it illegal to travel to the airport. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's right. Uh, I think a, a lot of these um, you know whack-a-mole sort of things that are going on all the time. Are, it, it all comes from a desire to have control. Yes. Uh, the whole point they want to do it without seeing it. That they basically want everyone completely trapped at home. I think they would rather we were in our houses for for twenty three and a half hours a day, uh, and but rather than. Uh, put in place the means to enforce that, which they're fighting shy of at the moment, mm. I can only presume. They're just doing everything they can. Uh, and so something, that, that an illogical sounding statement like that, you can travel but you can't go to the airport, it just sounds increasingly like people in desperation mm. making things up as they go along. Uh, and, and I just don't listen to it. Not because I'm not interested. And on the contrary, I'm absolutely fascinated and appalled by the whole uh, exercise but I simply don't have enough hours in the day uh, to, to keep up with the minutiae of it. I, I barely know where I am. I know that in, in Scotland we're going into Tier 4, mm. uh, or I will be in Tier 4 here in, in, uh, in Stirling, which is part of the, the big central belt block, although it doesn't, I don't think it's going to take in Edinburgh, you know, just to make things even more confusing. Uh, and, and so we can't move mm. unless you've got very good reasons for doing so. You know, explicitly explain special circumstances that would allow you to move out of your zone. Right. Everything's going to be shut. Um, but I don't keep up with it. I, I can't. I couldn't quote you or, or argue with you, argue the toss with you right. about exactly what you can and can't do. Right. But would it be likely, for example, Neil, if if and when that comes in on Friday, I think it is, will you be? Um, accosted by a member of Her, Her Majesty's Constabulary, if you're found out and about. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I think I think I had uh, John Swinney, a uh, high up in the SNP, yesterday saying that they wouldn't be actively uh, seeking to enforce the rules with with the police. Uh, but obviously, if if a person gets reported, you know, if someone's out and about doing something, visiting a household or, or moving mm. about, it could be reported. And I, I presume. What they mean is that the police would follow up on those, yeah. uh, you know, those reports and, and alleged infringements of the regulations. Uh, but yet your guess is as good as mine. It's just a constantly mm. moving, shimmering picture. Yeah. And I mean, we hear uh, uh, Alok Sharma was on with uh, Julie Hartley Brewer this morning saying, well, you know, the thing is, I'd like to have my uh, parents around for Christmas. But, you know, it may be just too early to say. It's like, you know, they're now uh, thinking that they've got the power to give us permission about whether or not we have a Christmas dinner with our friends and family. I know I, 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 there's clearly a fundamental principle at stake here that, that, about freedom that gets uh, constantly shouted down uh, by the by what we all plainly understand about the virus. Mm. I mean, I have to say on on uh, Good Morning Britain uh, this morning, um, Piers Morgan and, and Susanna Reid, 
uh, Piers Morgan was was bellowing at the screen about suck it up. That if, when it came to you know you know Christmas and and if it had to be done away with, uh, suck it up. And Lorraine Kelly was saying it's only a roast to dinner. Suck it up. Yeah. That 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 was the words. That those were, that was the choice of words. Yeah. Piers. Now, I have to say, I mean, I know that's labeling leveling something personal at an individual. But but you know when when you're talking about someone high profile, you know on a seven figure income, you know who we know had a great holiday in France, whose job has never been more secure, whose career has never been going better, for that for someone in that position to, to use language like suck it up, mm. you know say that to somebody you know you know with dementia in a care home, suck it up, mm. say that to somebody who's dying. Of, of undiagnosed, untreated cancer, undiagnosed, untreated heart disease. Say that to somebody who's lost their livelihood. Mm. Say that to somebody who's lost the business that they've given their life to building up. Suck it up. I, I find that that is a variation on on the thinking that takes us to the ends justify the means. Yeah. And Absolutely. the ends justify the means has been the clarion call of totalitarian regimes since totalitarian regimes were ever attempted that the ends justify the means. And it's not fair and it's not right. And I think it's shameful uh, to, to, be, to be battering people at this time, you know, when people are on their knees for so many reasons and in so many circumstances. And just to say, suck it up, I find beyond the pale. It really is extraordinary how some people have taken this uh, sort of pandemic and used it as an opportunity to make a stand in some way, shape or form. And Piers is a friend of mine. I had him in here and we had a good row uh, about his stance versus mine. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, because the, the, the science, as we keep being told, uh, is not really there. There is no science that tells us that what is going on uh, is going to stop anything. There's no science behind um, the idea that the lockdown is going to work. I mean, we still haven't heard from the Welsh as to whether or not their lockdown worked. We still haven't heard from Scotland and Nicola Sturgeon as to whether the measures that are being taken and are about to be increased are going to work. We've got no idea whether the the measures that we're currently facing in England are working. And so none of that um, is really being talked about. Instead, what we get is this kind of rather... A dislocated government talking about the green industrial revolution and again uh, talking to people who barely have two pennies to rub together well why don't you just get an electric car i mean it's ludicrous i know let them eat cake yeah um, you said it the thing that, that struck me forcefully was this idea that people would be expected to in one way or another i'm sure there was some sort of uh, lip service paid to an incentive scheme but all the people in the country who have fossil fuel driven cars, diesel or petrol, that they would have to invest in, as you said, I mean, even the cheapest of the electric cars are 30 and 40,000 pounds. That is just simply not going to happen. Mm. So, so what they see, what I think the government without saying it seemed to be working towards is simply a situation where far fewer people drive a car. You know, it's, it's not about transferring the, like for like. It's not about getting all those petrol, diesel-driven cars replaced with electric cars. Because I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams imagines that the power infrastructure would be there either. No. You, you mentioned it, you know, the, the, the necessity for, you know, for batteries basically to store all this power. And uh, as you said, the cobalt comes from dubious places and dubious regimes Slavery, child yeah. slavery. Yeah. Even the even the even the, the tin 
that's the solder on motherboards, in all of the things we use, never mind batteries, you know, tin in, in many cases is, is being mined and acquired, uh, you know, in places in the world where it's being done under dreadful conditions yeah. and by child slaves again. Yeah. And just and simply to, to push this agenda that, uh, that everything that's powered by wind or sunlight is green is not good enough because there are consequences for making the, the equipment and the infrastructure that will be green maybe when it's all earned out in 25 or a, or a generation's time. But to just try and hoodwink people with the idea that you can just move seamlessly from what we've had to what we're supposed to desire in the future mm. without there being massive consequences is disingenuous and dishonest. Yes, and that's well before we start to talk about the disposal of things like batteries, which basically do not biodegrade and so will be forever poisoning the earth with whatever leaks out of them when you bury them. You know, and again, we get taught uh, by uh, the, our masters, as I refer to them uh, ironically, um, that everybody wants it. And you go, well, what do you mean everybody wants it? I've been asking all morning for someone to ring me up and tell me they voted for this green revolution, right? And what you get from the government is, well, you know, we've done all these surveys and everybody wants cleaner air and everybody wants less pollution. But as I said, you know, well, nobody's going to say they don't want that if you ask them the question, are they? And, and also, all of that, yes. And also, why would you do it now? The country's on its knees. Mm. You know, I mean, some people are, are all right. And some people have been helped. Uh, and there, are, there have been systems in place to keep some people going. But many people are on their knees mm. or worse. And, and as far as I'm concerned, what has operated before our eyes is a system of triage which is to say that, like in the aftermath of a disaster, where the medics decide who they can save and who is just going to have to bleed to mm. death because mm. they're too badly hurt. That's the analogy I would use. There's a, there's a section of the population, the self-employed and other people in the private sector, seem to have simply been set aside by triage as not going to be saved. Yeah. And all of those people are, are facing up to that at the moment. And then to, to somehow throw in this wild card in the midst of it, when we're in the thick of it, and say we're going to have a green revolution and you're all going to be driving around, uh, you know, in magic flying cars by 2030. Yeah. Who is that? Who is that supposed to help? Is it simply some misguided attempt to draw attention in another direction and, and get another slew of headlines that are about something other than COVID? Mm. But who, who bells the cat? I mean, it's political expediency at the moment because it's so it's ten years away. But when as 2030 draws closer. I would have thought any any party that was campaigning on a platform of saying we're not going to take away your car mm. is going to do quite well. Yeah, I mean, are, are the people of the red wall that miraculously, that whatever the, the Conservative Party somehow won over to their way of thinking at the last election, did they know that coming straight down the line was the news that their cars were going to get taken away? All those little businesses, people that drive around, you know, people, you know, cleaners, yeah. painters, you know, people that, that, that have little vehicles, you know, that, that where they're moving about trying to earn an honest coin. <laughs> those people in the red wall, you know, that the, the consequence was going to be that all of that was going to get taken away yeah. and you were going to have to find some other way of running your business. Well, exactly. <laughs> because the ch I'm told there is a van that you can get, which is electric, but it's about 75,000 quid. 
you know, as opposed to the basic kind of, you know, white van that most people would use to run that particular type of business. And that's the other thing. Um, you know, people are now saying to me in large numbers on this show, we're never voting Tory again. And these are not just the people that voted it in the last election to get away from uh, the European Union. These are people that are lifelong three, four, five election voting Tories who are saying, that's it, we've had enough. But as your tweet suggested, Neil, um, the other lot aren't much better, are they? I, you know, I am a, I'm pretty much a, a lifelong political cynic. I, I don't, I never have had much faith in the in the political class. I mean, I here in Scotland, I can, I can say, I'm 53. Never in my life have I lived a single day in Scotland under a government I actually voted for. <laughs> I've always, I always voted, and I've voted for everybody. Yeah. Trust me, over mm. the years, you know, I've voted Green once. I've voted Labour. I've voted Conservative. I've voted Liberal Democrat. I've been right across the board because I, I don't really have any any faith in any of them. Mm. But at the moment, all of them, all of those prominent four in in British politics, to me, seem like bursted flushes, yeah. spent forces. They don't have a coherent thought in their heads. They're moving from one act of political expediency to another. And in the process, whoever they're listening to, I mean, if you commission a poll, you know, as far as I can make out, polls are like are like bespoke suits. If you go to a pollster and tell them what you want, that's yeah. what you'll that's what he'll stitch together for you. Well, I was talking, yeah, I mean, I was talking to Kevin O'Sullivan about this the other day, because um, we, we've commissioned polls, and we were in newspapers and stuff, as I'm sure you have. Um, and the first question the pollster says to you as the commissioner of the poll is, what answer do you want to get? Ah, it will, exactly. And if, that, if all they're doing is, is sitting listening to, to, the, to the praise, to the bright light of adulation that they are paying for and, and, and receiving from pollsters, if, if that's the way they're making their decisions, then heaven help us all. Mm. As I'm sure you are, I'm just out and about. You know, I, I, I talk, you know, talk to all, all sorts of folk. Stirling's a very, a very, a, 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 it's a very ordinary place. You know, it's got folk of all, all sorts, you know, and I, I have conversations with all of them, and all I am hearing from everyone that I speak to is despair. Yeah. What, what, what I find interesting about Scotland at the moment, though, Neil, is that whenever uh, I make anything uh, regarded by uh, SNP supporters as a critique or a criticism of the Scottish government, what they get back is this kind of, you know, this tribal, well, you know, at least our country is being run by somebody who knows what they're doing. And I mean, like, you know, I'm like you. I have no faith in politicians. My life does not depend on politicians. My um, worth does not depend on politicians. And, and, and my, um, my happiness does not depend on them either. And I would no longer and no more support Boris Johnson than I would support Nicola Sturgeon. But what I find weird is that these SNP kind of extremists talk about Nicola Sturgeon as if she's some kind of Bodicea figure who's going to lead them, you know, through uh, the, the, the battlefield and get independence for Scotland and then everything will be fine. This whole uh, furore that's kicked up in the last few days because you know Boris Johnson, quote unquote, said that uh, devolution was a, a disaster. Mm. I, I mean, just I mean that's just another big paw on another mine that's just exploded. Yeah. You know, covered himself in, in whatever he covered in. Uh, but the the point is, uh, devolution was was really the was was the pet of John Smith, um, the late MP leader mm. of. Labour Party died in, in the mid nineties there, and and devolution was his was a was a project to which he was committed, and it, and, and Labour Labour went ahead with it in the in the Tony Blair years, but it was hubris because the the Labour Party at the time had a stranglehold on Scotland. They bestrode Scotland like a one party state, mm. 
uh, and believed that they would they would dominate a devolved Scottish uh, Parliament. And uh, you know, it was a, and that's not what happened. Uh, they, they've now been they're gone. Labour's a spent force in Scotland, and the one party state in Scotland is is the Scottish National Party. But the, the Scottish National Party has never wanted devolution. It's like handing somebody a dog when what they really want is a cat. Mm. They're, they're looking after the dog, but what they really want is the cat. And they, they've got no, they've got no stake in, in in a devolved administration delivering for Scotland, because their objective is one thing and one thing only. Old Tam DL, who used to be part of the, what they call what did they call them the awkward squad yeah. within the Labour Party, he described. A devolution, I think, as a, a motorway with no exits leading to one destination and one destination only, yeah. which is separation, uh, independence. And, and how right he was. And now what the SNP have in Hollywood is a state-funded machine for propagandising the single issue that they're interested in. I mean, other people far more you know, learned in these matters than me can, can, can quote all the, the figures at you. But, you know, education, health, all of these things have, have been so on the downslope under all the years of the SNP, it has not the, the Scottish government is not delivering for the Scottish people. The, the life expectancy in Glasgow, in the east end of Glasgow, which is where the first minister has her constituency, in the east end of Glasgow, life expectancy for a man is sixty-four. Dear me, means that a man is likely to die mm. before he qualifies for his state pension, yeah. and it means that the life expectancy in the east end of Glasgow is lower than in sub-Saharan East Africa, in Mongolia, mm. in Pakistan. Okay, and it's easier. You're more likely as a poor uh, Scottish, as a poor English boy, to get to university than you are as a poor Scottish boy. You know, I was I'm I'm a classic case of of, of getting up and out the, the 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 mobility that used to be there. You know, I was I was born in a council house. I went to state school. I got to university in the eighties on a maximum grant. Do you remember then? I do. I got to you know I was I was my my education you know was was paid for by that that grant system, you know, but it's now you're, you're, you're less likely now as a poor Scottish boy to get to university than a, than a poor English yeah. boy. Now that was never, that was, that would have been unthinkable uh, in Scotland up until recent times, but it's now what everybody has to take for granted. Yeah. Well, ridiculously, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I knew a bit about the, 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 the sort of the, the devolution arguments because I, I was working for the Mirror at the time and I was in, uh, put in charge of not, not just the Welsh paper, but also the Scottish paper. And Tony Blair and I had dinner one night um, and his whole idea of a devolution was to suppress nationalism. He said that that was what was going to work. I mean, he could have been more wrong, could he? Who was it? It was uh, uh, one of the senior Labour uh, MPs at the time said that devolution would kill nationalism stone dead. I think that, I think he said that in Robertson in yeah. 1997, something yeah. like that. He said that it would kill nationalism stone dead, but that was just a classic miscalculation by Labour, who at, that, who at that time thought that they would be in power in Scotland until Kingdom come. And Wales, yeah. Uh, you know, so, but the situation changed, you know, under their unsuspecting feet. And now, and now here we, and now here we are. Uh, and, you know, Scotland is now the most governed, the most uh, bureaucratised country in Western Europe, there or thereabouts. But, but the irony is, the Scottish government has, is, has no interest in devolving power within Scotland. You, you, so you've got this, this uh, bizarre situation where Orkney and Shetland, for example, the councillors up there are talking seriously about seeking independence yeah. from Scotland. 
because the rather than devolve power to the to the local authorities, it has been the Scottish government's practice to hoard power back at Holyrood. Mm. You know, to take power away from from local authorities and local councils. You know, you know, they did away with the you know the local police constabularies, and now there's a single you know single police Scotland. You know, that would be an, a, an example of that of that process. So the for for a for a, for a party that's about well, devolution at the moment, and, and, and talking about listening to, to the voices of people, they, they, hoard, they hoard power. And, and in Scotland, in Scotland, the, the only, you know, the, the, the MSPs, they're on 62,000 a year, which there's not many, there's not many jobs in Scotland that pay, no. that, that, that pay that kind of salary. And the, 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 big, the big earners, most of the big earners in Scotland now are not entrepreneurs. They're not. They're not people in private enterprise generating real wealth and going out there and you know and, and taking the risks and earning the real money. The, the only big incomes really are in the public sector. People that are that are on taxpayer funded salaries. And there's a there's a there's now a culture, a dependency culture, uh, within Scotland. You know where the the, the civil service, uh, the, the public uh, services, uh, the voluntary sector, senior academics. Uh, even 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 celebrities, even even figures in the arts and all the rest of it, they know that they depend on the largesse and the patronage of the dominant power in Scotland, which is the SNP. And so increasingly, those all of those sectors sing the SNP song. They sing the song of independence because they de- they depend on the patronage of the government for their grants and for their incomes and mm. for their jobs. So much for independence. Neil, we could do this all day, but unfortunately we're out of time. But listen, thank you so much. That's given us an awful lot of food for thought. I think we'll pick up on it again uh, same time next week. Neil Oliver there uh, on the problem uh, with Scotland, the problem with the SNP. Don't believe those people who say uh, that it's all going to be great. Independence is the answer, because it isn't. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. How about this for a question from Janice? Here's a question to air. Why aren't the police launching a major investigation into PPE procurement? They have enough time and resources to arrest gym owners, but it seems not to root out the cancer of corruption in politics. Uh, Well, it's not a bad shout, that, but certainly as Boris Johnson defended uh, those choices that were made back in the day uh, when they were trying to get as much PPE into the country as they possibly could. I mean, he more or less said that they had to do whatever they had to do. They had to uh, take chances and they had to pay money to people uh, who were basically ripping them off, uh, which is not really the greatest way to run a government. But as he said to Keir Starmer, if they hadn't done that, and if they hadn't acted um, perhaps um, too quickly, um, he would have been criticised for not acting at all. So you can't really win. But certainly uh, it's worth investigating, I would have thought. Let's go now, though, uh, to a bit of homeschooling, because it is that time. After the news at 12.30 every day, uh, we try and bring you something which uh, will increase your knowledge uh, when you thought you might not need to even do that. Now, some of your kids will be back at school. Some of them will, of course, now uh, be sent home again and back home because of some kind of outbreak of COVID at the school. We're going to talk now, though, uh, to Sir Linkalot, uh, a man that we've had dealings with in the past. He's going to tell us all about silent letters because the English language is hard enough to learn uh, if you're learning it as a foreign language. Uh, but it's also quite hard to learn if you're a child because there's an awful lot of strange spellings and silent bits that you don't really understand. So link a lot. Very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Now, silent letters uh, is probably, I assume, one of those areas of, uh, of English where um, there's all sorts of exceptions that uh, prove the rule. Well, this is uh, having... Um, I've worked with uh, Susie Dent, or Lady Lexicographer, as I call her, on my app. Yes. That one in there. I've learned a lot from her, and there's no rhyme or reason. Like the word knowledge, you say it's got no at the start... We didn't like saying it was Cano, 
it was Cano, Canit, Cani. But we thought, no, nah, not on our watch in England. We're not having it. We're going to not, not say the K, but we're going to keep it. Well, why are we doing that? But what happens is the public decide. If people keep saying these things like the word invite, which I, I hate the word invite as a noun. It's now in the dictionary. People keep saying, not invitation, but invite. Mm. So the public decide. So people say, we're not going to say the K. Forget it. Well, there it is. We can't say you're wrong. Yeah. But it's a diff- it is difficult, isn't it, if you're trying to teach people how to pronounce words that not um, can sometimes be spelt with a K and sometimes not with a K. Uh, very well. Not and not, of course. N-O-T and K and O-T. You've got to think of a trick. You've got to think of a link. Like the word, for, let's put it on the spot here, Mike. The word crumb. Now, crumb comes from crumble, mm. French, French influence. Crumble was first. We shortened it to the word crumbs, that crumbs make crumbles, but we, we didn't drop the B, which is madness. Mm. Now, give me a word beginning with B, Mike, that's something to do with crumb. Bread. Perfect. The B of bread, the B of crumb, check you out. You are a linker. Not as much as I am. I like to link a lot, but very good. One more, <laughs> a visual one, which won't work on radio. The word thumb, you can't hear the B of thumb. Again, it comes from thimble. We say the B in French, but we didn't. We don't say it anymore, but we keep it in the word, which yep. is bonkers. Mm. Uh, visually... What can the letter B be, the lowercase b, to do with thumb? Can you think of a visual link? Which what you mean, because it looks a bit like a thumb, you mean? Very good. The letter B is a thumb. So there's no way around this. You've got to think of a link or a trick. I like the language because it comes from many other languages, but there's no other way around. You've got to attack these head on, and you can't drop them. If you drop them, you lose the story and the origin of the word. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you explain to, to, to people things like the GH? I know those are two letters rather than one. Um, but that's two silent letters, one after another. Good question. And uh, now, uh, Susie Dent told me this one recently. The word ghost, it was originally with no H. Mm. G-O-S-T. Okay, some English many years ago. But apparently a Belgian printer got involved. And he said, well, in German, we saw oh, the Flemish, we, we like words G-H. I'm going to put the H in. Well, why have you done that? I'm just doing it. All right. So we accepted it. So that's rocked up. And it shouldn't be there. At all. Right. So it's all, whoever's got the power at the time wins the day, really. Well, I was thinking more of the GH in thought rather than the GH in ghost, which, which is only uh, one Yeah, but also like the number... Yes, sorry for jumping in. Yes, uh, this is German origin because... Uh, now, I'm not an etymologist. Susie Dent is the queen of that, of course. I'm a linker thinking of tricks. But that comes from German. Like the number eight. Number eight is the craziest word going. Crazy. E-I-G-H-T. What is that? Mm. But acht. Acht. And that's a, that GH, but then we just say, no, we're not going to say it. We're just going to forget it. It's too difficult to get around our tongue, like the K of no. So we just don't say it. The English think we're not going to do it. No. Mm. And yet you can spell it A-T-E and people would get very confused. You can. You can. Homophones are a shocker, aren't they? Absolutely. There are three quadruple homophones. Poor, poor, poor and poor. Uh, right, right, right and right. And all, all, all and all. Mm. What chance have you got? learning English, firstly, as a first language, as a second language. Listen, I'm in great awe of my producer, Marta, who speaks English better than some English people that I know, but she's from Catalan. She's from Catalonia, rather. She speaks Catalan, she speaks Spanish, but she also speaks English. And I don't know how you can do that. Well, it's it's interesting you mention that, because there's there's a league table in the developed countries. We are way down on the literacy, English literacy. We were 25th 15 years ago, but now 11th. But countries in Europe, they see... I think learning and teaching more important than we do. Maybe we're lazy. We've got the language of the world. We don't need to learn anything else, whatever. But in Spain or other countries, they think are English. And because of Latin and Greek and Spanish, of course, comes from Latin, 
They are tremendous on this. The Dutch are incredible at English. The, 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 the Scandies, it's amazing mm. and embarrassing at the same time for us. Well, it is really, that's true. And as far as uh, the Flemish and the German influence you've told us about, there's obviously a Roman influence and Latin and all of that. What other sort of countries have we borrowed some of these things from? Well, Greek is, I mean, Greek is, is bonkers. <laughs> Greek is crazy. Like the yeah, word I, can't read, I can't read their alphabet, I'm afraid. No, it's, it's really hard. The word diarrhea, can you spell the word diarrhea, Mike? Um, probably, but I'd have to think about it. It's not one that would uh, be that simple and straightforward. There's an H in there somewhere, um, and I, I think it's after the A. Yeah, it is, okay. It's best to spell it R-U-N-S, if I were you. Mm. But it's um, the R-R-H means to flow in Greek. Yeah. R-R-H, where the word Rhine comes from, the river Rhine, R-H. And dire is through. So diarrhea literally means to flow through, which is obviously total air. That's fantastic. Yeah. But RRH... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you've told me that. <laughs> it's runny, runny, help, oops is my trick. Runny, runny, help, oops on the Solingola app. Don't you forget it. But also we've got from Indian uh, Indian words, of course, Australian words. It's sort of the empire over the years. We pulled together all these languages. There's about, about I think, about 100 or 200, Susie tells me, but five or ten main languages have an influence on us, for sure. And it's 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 great, but it's a nightmare at the same time. But Sir Linkalot is here to save the day. So I've got a hard question for you now, Sir Linkalot, to finish off with. What is the longest word that you can tell me in the English language that has uh, uh, the most silent letters? Oh. Mm, that's a good one. Thorough, thorough. No, not thorough. You've got me. That's a great question. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I'm so thorough, proud. Sir. You've got me. You've got me up. Next time, next time, right. I'll let you know. Well, maybe I'll, ask, maybe I'll ask the audience. That'll be one for them. So, Linkalot, where can we find you? Uh, the Salinkalot app uh, on the Salinkalot uh, website, salinkalot.org, uh, Salinkalot uh, app on Instagram, Twitter, Salinkalot, Facebook, YouTube. There's so much there. It is transforming spelling. I call it the future of spelling for good reason. I like it. So, Linkalot, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Andy Salmon is his real name, uh, but he goes by Sir Linkalot. Um, it is fascinating, the English language, and I mean, you may find that yourself less fascinated than I am by it, but I do find it very fascinating. So, if you can uh, tweet me, or you can text me uh, in the next 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes maybe, uh, what is the word that's got the most silent letters in it uh, in the English language? I'm in- genuinely interested in it, because I don't know. I'm told people are saying they think it might be Q. Hmm... Possibly. I don't know. Um, God, it's turned into some kind of weird Giles Corrin uh, type show, this. I don't know how we did that. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.